Last Sunday morning here at Sunrise during our worship celebration, we spent some time talking about the two major aspects of our lives. We began by talking about our work, and we saw that our work, whatever kind of work it is, on average takes up about one-third of our waking hours. Our work is important to us. We have our career goals, we have responsibilities, and we saw that God actually wants us to work hard. Often, we tend to think of work as being a bad thing, a result of the fall. We might be under the delusion that before sin entered into the world, there was no such thing as work. But we learned here last week that work is something that God actually created. It's not the result of sin. And he created it before the fall of man. When he created Adam, he immediately gave Adam work to do. So work is a good thing, and we should work hard. It's a major aspect of our lives. And then we saw last week that a second major aspect of our lives is family. Either pursuing a family or maintaining a family. Now, family is a wonderful thing. It's a gift from God. And if work takes up one-third of our waking hours, then family takes up a good percentage of the other two-thirds. Problem is, these two good things are often in conflict. There's a tension between the demands of our work and the demands of our family. Both of them require and deserve our attention. So which one wins? When work and family collide, which one comes out on top? All too often, I believe the answer to that question is work. Work wins. Work comes out on top. I know I've been there myself. We pour ourselves into our work to the detriment of our family. Hey, our family is going to be there for us anyway, right? But our work, if we want to keep our work, if we want to be successful, if we want to have more income, if we want that promotion, if we want to get our egos stroked, then we feel that's where we need to be. And the problem is that often happens at the expense of our family. We cheat our family in favor of work. Now, last week, while we were talking about all this, I suggested a scenario to you. I suggested to you that I might, be able, I, I might invite you to come up here to the front and stand beside me over here to the side of the stage, and I would give you a 30-pound bag of potatoes, and I asked you to just stand there and hold it. You didn't necessarily know why you were doing it, but you knew that I asked you to hold this 30-pound bag of potatoes. I asked you to trust me. I told you it was important for you to hold it. And so you agreed. I suggested that, that when I asked you to do that, you agreed to it, and you just stood here off to the side and held this 30-pound bag of potatoes while I spoke. And every once in a while, I would look over to you, and I'd promise that I'd get to the point soon that I'd come over and help you hold that bag. But more and more time went by. And I kept on getting on to tangents and talking about something else here at the front while you stood there holding that 30-pound bag of potatoes. And after 12 or 13 minutes, you'd just be ready to drop it. It wouldn't be that you didn't want to hold it any longer. It wouldn't be that you didn't trust me, although you may never trust me again if I pulled that on you. It would just be that you couldn't hold it any longer. And so we took that scenario and we applied it to how we treat our work and how we treat our family. And we saw that when we cheat our family in favor of our work, we're basically telling our family, trust me, I have something else to do right now. You're going to have to get along without me for a while, but I'll be there soon. Really, I just have some other more important things I need to do first. And when we do that, we leave our family, we leave our spouse holding the bag. Oh, they trust us. 
They believe in us. They love us. They want us to succeed. They know that our work is important, and they want to help out any way they can. And so they agree to hold that bag. Problem is, they can only hold it for so long before the weight of it becomes too great. It's not that they don't want to hold it any longer. They just can't. So we've got our work and we've got our family, two major aspects of our lives which are both important but which are often in conflict. And when we have to choose, too often we choose to cheat our family in favor of our work and we leave our family holding the bag. But the operative word there is choose because that's what we do. We choose. It's a choice that we make to cheat our family. It doesn't just happen. We choose it. But it doesn't have to be that way. God does value a good work ethic, yes, but he also values family. In fact, the Bible tells us that we should do our work as unto the Lord, and we must love our family, not the other way around. Now, let me, let me show you something else. Here on the screen, you see a, a simple example of the cash flow for a fictitious bank account. Now, you know what the goal of a bank account is, don't you? The goal is always to have more deposits than withdrawals. And here in this example, you see this. The deposits always total more than the withdrawals do. And when that happens, you're on your way to what? You're on your way to financial health. But what happens when you turn that around? What happens when the withdrawals surpass the deposits? Then you end up with an increasingly negative balance and you're on your way to what? Financial disaster. Now imagine that each of those dollar amounts represents the emotional and relational deposits and withdrawals that you make with your family. When you're making more withdrawals than deposits, where are you headed? You're headed for relational disaster. Now none of that is news for you. We all know that our families need to be a priority for us. We agree at least intellectually to that concept. I mean, no one has ever said on their deathbed, if only I had, had spent more time at the office. No one's ever said that. We at least give a nod to the idea that our families are important. But still, we can find ourselves in the position where we're cheating our families because of the demands of our work. And what you need to understand this morning is that no matter how much you give, work will always demand more. No matter how much you put into your place of employment, there will always be more demands. There's always more that you could do. And so it's up to you to determine the boundary. It's up to you to say, this far and no farther. But how do you go about doing that? I mean, you'd be pretty stupid to go into your boss's office and start making demands. If you do that, you're liable to wind up with a lot more hours to spend with your family than you really want to have. So what's a good reasonable way to go about setting the boundaries. How do you stop cheating family in favor of work? How do you reprioritize family over work? Well, I don't know if there is a foolproof method, but for the rest of our time, we're going to look at the example of Daniel. But that's all it is. It's an example. Daniel set an example for us. We're going to look at what Daniel did, and it worked for Daniel. And I think it makes sense. So this could work for you as well. And by the way, if I can just do a little commercial here, most of what we talked about last week and what we're talking about this morning can be found in this little book by Andy Stanley called Choosing to Cheat. I'd suggest that if you want to 
read a little bit more about what we're talking about, then you can pick this up for yourself. Andy Stanley's Choosing to Cheat. All right, well, let's talk about Daniel, and we'll see how Daniel resolved the conflict when two opposing sides demanded his loyalty. Now, in Daniel's case, the conflict was not between work and family. That wasn't the problem that he faced, but he did face a serious conflict. And how he handled it can be a pattern for us in our work-family conflicts. So what was a conflict that Daniel faced? If it wasn't work-family, what did he face? Well, let's set the stage and see what it was. About 605 BC, a new empire was developing in the area of Southwest Asia. It was the Babylonian Empire. And at the time that we're talking about this morning, it was under the rule of King Nebuchadnezzar. Well, the Babylonians swept across the land, eventually arriving at Israel. At this point in their history, most of the Israelites had turned their backs on God and had thus rejected God's protection. So God had removed his protection from them. So the Babylonians were quickly able to conquer them. And then after they conquered Israel, the Babylonians took many of the Israelites captive and led them back to Babylon. Perhaps you're, you're already familiar with the small country that's in that area of the world today that we call Iraq. Maybe you've heard of it. That's where the Babylonians were centralized, and that's where they took the Israelites. And among those captives was a young man named Daniel. And Daniel, as it turned out, was a faithful follower of God. And he was also a very gifted young man. So gifted, in fact, that he was chosen by King Nebuchadnezzar as one of the elite Israelites to be trained for service in the king's palace. So Daniel actually got to move into the palace to receive all kinds of training. And one of the perks that he received was that he was to be given the best food. Food straight from the king's table. Food that was fit for a king. Which sounds pretty good to me. But there was a problem with that. The food that Daniel and the others would have been offered would have previously been offered to idols. And thus the conflict. Daniel had determined to be loyal to his God, but if he had accepted the food that had been offered to Babylonian gods, he would be accepting the authority of those gods. Now this may not seem like such a big deal or such a, a big dilemma to you and to me. I mean, come on, Daniel. If you don't want to eat the food, then just don't eat the food. Just order some takeout or grab a sandwich at the nearest Tim Hortons. That sounds pretty reasonable, doesn't it? But keep in mind that Daniel was a captive. He had been given a special privilege to live in the palace, yes, but he was still a captive. And the king himself had ordered that this be the food that, that be given to him. Daniel really was in no position to refuse. If he did, he'd be defying the king. So what did he do? How did he handle this conflict. Well, the Bible tells us in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But Daniel made up his mind not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. So for you and me, when it comes to handling the conflict between work and family, following the example of Daniel here, the first thing that, that we need to do, first thing that you need to do, make up your mind. If you want to reprioritize family over work, then make up your mind that that's what you're going to do. In that verse from Daniel chapter 1 verse 8, you can underline the words, Daniel made up his mind. He made up his mind. He just wasn't going to eat the food. And he was specific about it. He didn't say, well, I'm going to try to do better. I'll only 
eat enough that it won't cause any waves. I'll, I'll eat it, but I won't enjoy it. I'll eat it for now, but someday, someday I won't have to. I'll be in a position that I don't have to eat it any longer. No, Daniel was specific about his commitment and he was decisive. He wasn't going to eat any of it. He had made up his mind and it didn't matter what the eventual outcome might be. He simply wasn't going to compromise. He began with a decision. And for you and for me, choosing not to cheat at home begins with a decision. A decision to stop cheating. And it's a decision that can't have a bunch of conditions attached to it. Like, when I'm more financially secure. Or if I get this promotion. Because once you start slapping conditions onto your decision, it shows that your family's not your priority after all. And you know what really helps here? It helps when you are specific. Daniel was specific. He wasn't going to eat any of the food. How specific can you be? How about, I'm not going to work any more than 45 hours a week. Or how about, I'm going to be home every evening for supper. Or, I will not work on my day off. Or, I'm going to limit my business travel to 10 days per year. Or, I'll be at every baseball game my kid plays this year. However you need to structure it, be specific in your decision. The more specific your decision is, the easier it is to say no to the other things that might incringe upon your time. It was April 21st, 1519. Hernando Cortez landed his ships along the Mexican coast and prepared to go ashore to conquer the Aztec Empire. Quite a bold move, trying to conquer an empire with less than 400 soldiers. But that's exactly what he was there to do. He had made up his mind. And so his first order, burn the ships. If he was going to conquer the Aztecs, then retreat could not be an option. The focus needed to be on going forward, not going backward. And so he ordered that his own ships be burned. So with that option eliminated, with retreat no longer a point of consideration, Cortez was successful in conquering an empire. Here's the little language lesson for you. The Latin root word for the word decide literally means to cut off. So when you decide something, you're not just selecting one option, you're eliminating the other options. You're cutting them off. That's what Cortez did. He cut off other options. He decided to overcome an empire, so he cut off all the options that would have distracted him from that. So when you decide to stop cheating your family, you need to cut off the other options. You need to make up your mind. I'm not going to cheat my family any longer. Make a decision. Daniel had made up his mind. He wasn't going to eat the food that had been given to pagan gods. But then what? I mean, he could have just made up his mind and boldly announced, I'm not eating this food. I don't care what you do to me. I'm just not eating it. And I guess if he had, had spoken that defiantly, it, it could have worked. It probably would have worked. He, he, he would have never eaten the food again because, well, he'd be dead. Now, Daniel was a little smarter than that. He tempered his decision with diplomacy. He was dogmatic about his convictions, but not so dogmatic in his approach. Instead, we're told in the second part of Daniel 1 verse 8, he asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. You can circle or underline the word asked. 
Daniel asked permission. He didn't demand, he asked. So that's number two. Ask, don't demand. Now, depending on your work situation, you may have no one to ask. So this may not be all that applicable for you. But if you do have someone that you need to ask, then don't avoid doing this. Now, I know it can be intimidating. You might think that you already know what they're going to say. But make the ask anyway. Do you realize what Daniel was doing by asking? He was acknowledging the authority that the chief of staff had. If he had gone into the office demanding his way and presenting ultimatums, he would have been challenging that authority. And I think the response from the chief of staff would have been very different. But because he asked, instead of demanding, because he asked, he was showing respect for the position and inviting the chief of staff to be part of the process of finding a solution. It wasn't a threat, it was an invitation. So Daniel could have demanded his own way, and that wouldn't have turned out very well. What else could he have done? Well, he could have kept the chief of staff out of the loop. He could have deceived him. And that wouldn't have been very good either. I mean, he could have assumed that the chief of staff would have rejected his request anyway, and so Daniel could have tried to do something underhandedly or secretly. He could have snuck his meat into his napkin. I don't know what he could have done. But I'm sure he could have found some way to subvert the authority of the chief of staff. But you know what? The chief would have found out. Sooner or later, he would have found out. And I can assure you, if that happened, the chief would not be all that favorable toward Daniel then. In other words, if you choose that you're not going to cheat your family, then don't decide that you're just going to sneak out of work early, hoping that the boss doesn't notice. Because he or she will notice. And then you will wish that you had made the ask. Daniel respected the chief's position, and so he did make that ask. He didn't make demands. He didn't deceive. He made the ask. Then what did he do? He listened. So number three is listen and offer solutions. Daniel listened. So what did he hear when he listened? What did the chief say to him? Well, verse 10 says that the chief of staff responded to Daniel and said, I'm afraid of my lord the king who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. So he's basically saying, let's not lose our heads. I don't want your appearance or your performance to suffer. That's what Daniel learned when he listened. He learned that the chief really wasn't all that concerned about what Daniel ate. He was concerned that Daniel might become pale and thin. He was concerned with how Daniel looked and how he performed. And he didn't want Daniel's performance to suffer because if Daniel's performance suffered, then the king would make sure that he suffered too. And by the way, that's really your employer's concern too. I can almost guarantee you that. They're not nearly as concerned about how much overtime you put in as they are about your productivity. Now, you might already think that you know what your boss's reaction would be if you went in and you started trying to negotiate something with them so that you could stop cheating family. But you know what happens when you assume, right? Sometimes you're wrong. So listen. Listen for what their real concerns are. Don't argue with them. Listen. Ask questions. Clarify the concerns. Sure. But listen. And after you've listened, you can say something like, 
I understand that those are some serious concerns and I certainly don't want to complicate things for you. Let me think about it a bit and see if I can come up with a solution that will address those concerns. When you do that, what have you done? You've left the door open. You've given yourself some time to come up with a solution. And you've given your boss time to think about it too. And maybe they'll even change their mind. As long as you don't attack them and put them on the defensive, there's a good chance that they're going to work with you to find a solution. They might change their mind and come back to you and say, you know, what you suggested is reasonable. Let's try it. Or they might say, you know, that just won't work, but here's another option. Let's try this. Invite them to become part of the solution. Now, Daniel came up with his own solution and he presented it as a test. He presented a test for himself and for three of his friends who shared his convictions. Daniel said in Daniel 1 verses 12 and 13, please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. At the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. What a great idea. Daniel offered a trial period. Still no ultimatum. Still didn't threaten the, the chief's authority. Just suggested a trial period. Surely there wouldn't be any irreversible damage in just 10 days. So that's just what they did. And maybe that's what you need to do with your boss. Offer a trial period. Let's try this for a month and see what happens. Let's try this for a couple of weeks. See what the implications are. For me, I've shifted some of my schedule around so that I'm working when my wife's working. And that means that I have more free time when she's not working. She works shift work. She, her hours change a little bit. So my hours change a little bit from week to week. I try to work while she's working so that I'm not working when she's not working. I started doing this a few months ago and I'm noticing a difference. We're seeing some benefits in our relationship. You need to figure out what a solution is that could work for you. Rearrange your hours, work more strategically, delegate more effectively, whatever. Look, our jobs are important. I understand that. We have to work and we should work hard. But the tendency for many of us is to overdo it. And our families are cheated because of it. So figure out a solution. And you might discover that it really is possible to stop cheating family in favor of work. And you can turn that whole thing around. And something that's important for us to remember in all of this is this. It's something that Andy Stanley points out in his book. He wrote, cheating at work isn't really cheating at all. It's merely testing to see how well the requirements of your job can be met under a different arrangement. And if all the concerns that your boss has can be addressed in a respectful and in a practical way, then you've found the solution. And that's a good thing. Now, there is one extremely important component in all this. This is number four. It's this. Watch for God to intervene. Watch for God to intervene. There are a couple of verses in Daniel chapter 1 that we haven't looked at yet. We've kind of skipped them until now. One of them is verse 9. Right after Daniel made the ask to the chief of staff and asked that he not be required to eat the food that had been sacrificed to idols, had been offered to the pagan gods, we're told this. Now, God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. In that verse, in your notes, I want you to circle the words, now God. It was a now God moment. 
Daniel was committed to his values and his convictions. He was faithful to his God. He responded humbly and obediently. And because of all of that, he experienced a now God moment. Think about this. If Daniel had already concluded that there was no way that the chief of staff would listen to him and so that he, was, he wasn't even going to ask, what would have happened? Daniel would have missed out on this now God moment. If he hadn't made the ask, then he would have never seen how God had, had given the chief of staff respect and affection for Daniel. Makes me wonder, how many times do you and I miss out on now God moments because of our fears and our preconceptions? Just a thought. Daniel acted according to his God-given values, which seemed to be completely out of place in the Babylonian palace. But because he acted anyway, God had the opportunity to intervene. Now God. The other verse that I want to point out to you is after the test has been carried out. Daniel and his friends have come through the test with flying colors. And so from then on, they were going to be fed food that fit with their convictions. And then we read this in verse 17. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. Now, do you see what's happening here? These four young men, Daniel in particular, had been obedient to God, had upheld their integrity, and stuck to their convictions. And because of that, God blessed them. Andy Stanley wrote in his book, God honors those who honor him. Honor him at, at home and experience his blessing there. Honor him in the marketplace and look for him to show up there as well. He is as capable of intervening in your office on Monday afternoon as he is in your church on Sunday morning. Well, it'd be really easy to stop right there. Honor God and he'll work everything out. I believe that's true, but I don't think it means necessarily that you'll stay in the same job. What if your boss isn't cooperative? What if your boss places demands on you that require you to keep cheating your family? You've made the ask, you've listened, you've suggested alternatives, you've presented solutions, you've, you've suggested a trial period. What if you've done all of that and your boss still isn't cooperating? Well, then there may come a time when you need to walk. So number five is be prepared to walk away. Now what you don't want to do is throw a temper tantrum. You're acting on your own convictions and your boss has no obligation to go along with them. Chances are they will, but they don't have to. You're the one who's changing the terms. So you can still respect their authority and you can can work out an exit strategy with them. If your work is cheating your family though, then it's going to lead to disaster for you to stay. So your options are to find a solution or get out. Now, Daniel didn't actually have to get to this point, so it's hard to say exactly what he would have done. But we do know that he was determined not to defile himself by eating food that had been offered to pagan gods. And I don't believe that he would have compromised on that. Hey, five chapters later, 
Daniel found himself thrown into a den of hungry lions because he refused to compromise his value. So I don't think he would have compromised in this instance either. But maybe you'd argue, but Daniel lived in a different time. Things are different now. You're right, they are. You probably won't be executed if you leave your job. That was a real possibility for Daniel. You should be glad that things are different now. They're easier. And so if your work continues to demand that you cheat your family, and if there is no flexibility there at all, then it may be necessary for you to walk away. Think about it. What are the arguments for staying there? You need to save up for retirement. You need to pay off the mortgage. You need to provide for your family. Well, none of that will matter because you won't have a family anymore. You'll be saving up to pay lawyers and trying to figure out who gets the house, not how to pay the mortgage on the house. And if you're still worried about it, then remember that making your family your priority is not just a good idea, it's a God idea. The New Testament clearly establishes that your responsibility is to your family, not your work. Work hard as unto the Lord, but love your family. So you tell me, is God more likely to bless you for upholding his priorities or rejecting them? Jesus himself talked about how we can get all caught up in seeking riches and security and possessions, and he reminded us that we can't serve both God and money. And then he said this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he said, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. If you believe that, then you need to live it. Put God and his priorities first and then watch him work.